On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers still have some holes on the roster, even after a flurry of free agent signings. But where are their biggest areas of need? And did the Packers overpay to fill the roster holes they have already? We'll discuss that, plus why it's a bad idea to bring back Jordy Nelson. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am, as always, your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for episode number... 160-something. 166, says my notes. suppose I could have looked at that before I started that sentence. Either way, you are here. I am here as well, so there's plenty to talk about. Let's do it. We will get into uh, where the Packers go from here in a second, but we need to discuss a couple things that have happened since the last time we've talked. In particular, the Packers making two additional free agent moves. Right up at the deadline, in fact, the news didn't come until slightly after the deadline, the Packers offered a restricted free agent tender to Geronimo Allison. This is something that I've been in favor of for a while. I like that they did it, and I kind of thought this was a foregone conclusion. However, I do think it's a little bit odd to see the low-end tender here. For just $2 million, the Packers will have the right to match anybody's offer to Geronimo Allison. And I really wouldn't be all that surprised to see someone take a run at him, if only to make the Packers, if not overpay, at least make a choice. Because giving him the low tender isn't really a choice. There's pretty low risk involved there. I think it'd be very interesting to see what the Packers would do in that situation, and it would depend greatly on the contract that that other team would offer. But still, the Packers would have a choice to make, and currently they don't. They're in a pretty good situation. They can just take things as they come and proceed on as though they're going to have Geronimo Allison on the roster because they're going to. Still, you'd at least like to have the opportunity or the option of getting a little bit of compensation back if somebody does decide to sign Geronimo Allison because the way restricted free agent contracts work right now, if somebody signs him and the Packers don't match it, the Packers would get nothing. It kind of stinks, but that's the way it is. There doesn't seem to be tons of interest, but I just don't think it's impossible that somebody decides to take a run at Geronimo Allison. Either way, I am glad to see him tendered and glad that he is, unless something weird happens, unless something unexpected happens, going to be with the Packers at least into training camp this year. The Packers have also re-signed tight end Mercedes Lewis. I think it's good to have him back, even if at 35 he is not the player that he once was. He seems like a pretty good guy, and the Packers could use more blocking out of their tight ends. Even if he's not the answer, even if he only ends up being like, what, your number three tight end, this is one less thing you have to figure out right at this second. Although I think they probably will at the very least strongly consider it, I think this sets up the Packers to not have to draft a tight end in the draft. There's a lot of mock drafts and stuff that have them taking a tight end as high as 12. I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility, but having Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis together at the top of your tight end depth chart, even in 2019, is not the worst thing in the world. You can probably get by with that. Even in the not-too-distant past, the Packers have had worse tight end groups than that. Think of 2015. Richard Rodgers was your top tight end there. Sure, Jimmy Graham may not be as explosive as he once was, and sure, Mercedes Lewis may not be the blocker that he once was, but in 2015, Richard Rodgers wasn't a good receiver or a good blocker. So at least you have an approximation of each of those on the Packers roster right now. You're probably paying more than he would have liked to, but still, 
at least you've got some warm, relatively known commodity bodies at the top of your depth chart. You could do worse. More news from outside, well, outside the Packers organization, still in the NFC North. Just this afternoon, we got news that the Chicago Bears signed former Packers safety, haha, Clinton Dix, to a one-year, $3.5 million deal. I think it's kind of interesting and funny that the Packers and Bears essentially swapped safeties this offseason. More or less, the Packers traded haha Clinton Dix for Adrian Amos and a fourth-round pick. The fourth-round pick comes from the Redskins, but you see what I'm saying there. I don't want to bash haha Clinton Dix. Uh, I think my feelings on haha Clinton Dix are pretty well known. I've been a fairly vocal haha critic for a while, so no need to rehash that. However, these machinations are pretty interesting. For a few reasons. First, that Chicago would take a guy that two teams who have devoted fairly significant resources to over the past year have given up on. So the Packers gave Haha Clinton Dix the fifth year option, or they picked up his fifth year option for last year. A not inconsiderable contract, certainly more than the one year, $3 million deal that he's got now. And the Redskins gave up a fourth-round pick to get him midseason. Both of those teams in the last year decided, nope, not for us, and moved on. And the Bears wanted to have that guy. Second, for the Bears, he's not really a one-to-one replacement for Adrian Amos and doesn't really do the things that Amos did. Certainly the things that HaHa does well, and there are things that he does well, are different in many ways from what Adrian Amos does well. Haha, Clinton Dix is a pretty classic deep free safety. And that seems like a little bit of an odd fit with Eddie Jackson there already. Jackson, not a full-on super traditional deep safety, but probably more in the mold of one than Adrian Amos for sure. And now you have a little bit of overlap with Haha, Clinton Dix. They must think it can fit. Obviously they do, otherwise they wouldn't assign him. Third, both teams now are looking at giving significant playing time to players that their rival had the opportunity to re-sign but didn't. Kind of back to that thing I mentioned in the in the intro. The Bears um, had the opportunity to bring Adrian Amos back if they wanted to. But it sounds from all reports like they give up on trying to re-sign him towards the middle or end portion of last year. And the Packers obviously did what they did with HaHa Clinton Dix towards the middle of last season as well. That's a bit of a red flag on both sides, I would think. The Bears have a legitimate reason, I think, in Amos. Man, we don't value him the way other teams apparently value him. The Packers didn't think Haha Clinton Dix could play anymore. That would be a red flag for me if I'm a fan of either team. Especially for the Packers, maybe as good as the Packers or as good as the Bears defense was, excuse me, last year. Why didn't they want this guy around? Did they not think he was an important part of that defense? But finally, whatever is the ultimate conclusion of this argument, and we won't see what that argument is or what the conclusion is until this fall, I don't think you can look at conventional stats to find an answer right now. Who would do such a thing? Well, we have a pretty good example. Hub Arkish of Pro Football Weekly offered this missive on Twitter. Why can't fans separate actual analysis from fanboy talk? I like the Packers and hope they're back in the hunt this year, but haha, Clinton Dix is a more complete safety and a better player than Adrian Amos. Just deal with it, guys. Telling the truth isn't a slap at the Packers. Well, that certainly is a take. And 
naturally, people wanted some clarification, particularly Zach Cruz of the Packers Wire. Basically asked, okay, you think he's a more complete player? Why do you think so? And all Mr. Arkish offers in return is stats. He says, Zach, stats don't always lie, and they can't lie this much. And basically trots out the volume stats for interceptions, passage defense, fumbles forced, tackles even, comparing haha Clinton Dix to Adrian Amos. And Clinton Dix has the advantage in most of those categories. He has more tackles, more interceptions, more passes defense, more fumbles forced, fewer tackles for lost, more sacks. Last year, same story. Adrian Amos only had one pick and zero forced fumbles. Haha Clinton Dix had three interceptions and two forced fumbles. But I don't think that's a good summation of either player's game. I think you can take a look at Haha ha Clinton Dix and watch him play and think, boy, how did he end up with anything resembling good stats? Because a lot of times he just kind of looks disinterested out there on the field. And from what I've watched of Adrian Amos, you can look at him and say, how did he not have better stats? Seems to always be in the right spot. How come things haven't come his way? There are points to be made on both sides here. And maybe just by the virtue of the fact that they're virtue of the value of the contract these guys have gotten, the Bears win this one here. But there's a lot to watch here. And I think it's worth watching. It's going to be a good story to watch play out this season. Related to free agent signings, we've got a big question to answer. And I think it's worth diving into as we go deeper into free agency, because I've seen this come out a lot in all sorts of different sources. Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has said stuff like this. A lot of national writers has said stuff like this. Basically, yeah, the Packers were active, active, but they overpaid in free agency. So did the Packers overpay? Well, yeah, probably. But you can't just say they overpaid and have that be the sole source of your criticism. Because how they overpaid is important. Overpayment is built into free agency. Nobody goes out during the legal tampering period, much as I hate that terminology, and snags a bargain. You're not getting clearance rack prices before free agency even officially opens. What kind of a bargain are you actually getting? What kind of analogy can help us understand that? Well, funny you should ask, John, the rhetorical question asker. I have an answer. Great how that works out. I think there are three levels of player that you can sign. And I think it's important to think of these players with the caveat that they are real human beings and you would never want to talk about buying actual human beings. Think of free agency like a store. You've got your name brand products. You've got your products that are a step down from a name brand. And then you've got your store brand stuff. In almost all cases, for good reasons or bad, the name brand products are what you want. You want to go into the store and get the brand that's familiar for good reasons. I like soda way more than I should. I don't ever drink it anymore. Often don't. More often than not, don't. But I don't think you can convincingly argue that a stepped-down version of Coca-Cola is as good as the name brand Coke. There's just something about that red can and the script lettering and stuff like that, that makes the entire experience of drinking a Coke what it is. But you can't get Coca-Cola products in free agency the vast majority of the time. 
That is a phrase that's going to sound really funny out of context. You would never sign Coca-Cola in free agency. You know what I mean, though. And if you can get the name brand product in free agency, there's usually a reason. Think of Earl Thomas. Why would the Seahawks be interested in letting one of the most notable, you know, secondary players, you know, defensive secondary players of the last 10, 15 years just go? Well, there's a lot of reasons. He's getting older. He's coming off a fairly severe injury. And he's a lot more expensive than they would have liked to play given those, or given would have, what they would have liked to pay given those last two factors. So if you can't get the name brand in free agency, what do you get? Well, you go for one step down. This is why you end up paying pass rushers like Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, maybe not the top end name brand guys like Avon Miller or Khalil Mack, significant contra- contracts. Because you can't get the store brand, but you got to buy something. Recently, like within the past week, I bought something I've had my eye on for a long time. I work in an office. I sit at a desk all day. I'm six feet, five inches tall. Sitting at a desk is not super great for me. Either my chair is too short and that's uncomfortable, or my desk is too short, or the relationship between an office chair and a desk is just not great for somebody my height. So I bought one of those convertible sit-stand desks. Doing the research on this product, the top-of-the-line model that you can get is the Very Desk. That's the brand. But they run for about 200 bucks a pop. And unless you can find one on Super Sale, like a couple of my coworkers did, you're not going to get the Very Desk for an affordable price. So you end up paying almost as much for something that may not be quite as good. I got a brand called Vivo. It works just fine for me. I paid probably a little bit more than I would have liked. Actually, I did get a pretty good deal on it. But you're still paying almost as much or just as much for something that may not have the peace of mind that you're getting from one of the name brands. Okay? Then the third thing is the store brand. The store brand is what you take when you can't get anything else or what you buy when you know it's secretly better than anything else. Everybody knows products like that at the grocery or hardware or whatever store of your choice. The store brand stuff that actually might actually be better than the the big famous products. For instance, everybody likes LaCroix, right? No, I don't... I, a lot of people, it seems like it's one of those things where you can have hot takes on it on either side. Either you're really a fan of it or you're not really a fan of it at all. I could kind of take it or leave it, um, but, you know, it has its place. We would get LaCroix for a while, the carbonated water, of course. But we recently discovered that our at our neighborhood Kroger, they've got the Kroger brand stuff that's pretty much as good. And you know what? They've got a lot more flavors available. It's at least as good, if not better, so we just buy that now. And it's pretty all right to have around. Free agency is like if you go to the store, and every time you go there, the name brand is out of stock. So you end up having to pay more than you'd like for the next best thing. And since you're buying stuff you gotta have, you can't always go for the the store brand stuff. Sometimes you just gotta buy the best of what's available. So you end up paying more for the stuff that's almost as good 
as the name brand, but isn't quite there. And sometimes that next best thing is going to work out. Other times you find out why it isn't one of the name brand products, and suddenly you're stuck paying an edge rusher a lot more than you should. Makes sense? I think that's why that's a that's a good summation of why the Packers overpaid and why it might be okay, but why it might also not quite work out. So having overpaid for all of this stuff, air quotes around overpaid, what do the Packers still need? Certainly they can't have done everything they possibly needed to do in free agency. Of course not. That would be silly. So what do they actually need? I think the first question you have to ask is what is a need in this situation? Because you can have needs, but you can also have wants. I think a need is something that you would be in trouble if you didn't have. So going into this week, the Packers had a need on the edge. They needed edge rushers. If they did not get an edge rusher between now and the end of the NFL draft, one who could be a starting caliber player, they would have been in serious trouble because they could not go into this season with Kyler Fackrell and Reggie Gilbert as their starting edge rushers. That would be bad. A want is something that would be nice to have, but you can get by without it. And there are varying degrees of both of these categories, but generally speaking, I think you've got needs and you've got wants. For me, a want right now for the Packers is another edge rusher. We mentioned that they have the opportunity still to take a relatively high-end edge rusher in the draft, early in the draft, if they want. But it is a want. They don't necessarily have to have one right away. But there still are needs on the Packers roster right now, and I think there are, there are at least five. Depending what happens with Bashad Breland, there could be six, but I'm not quite prepared to go there yet, because even if the Packers don't sign Bashad Breland, they've got three relatively good corners, and if they can stay healthy, they'd probably be okay there. I mean, I, you know, that is a pretty big if with Kevin King there, but I think as it stands right now, corner is not necessarily a need. However, I think there are five. And here they are in the order of preference, in the order that I see them, from biggest need to least big need. Cool? Cool. First, defensive line. This, I think, is a pretty sneaky big need for the Packers. Sneaky in that I think it's their biggest need, and it's their biggest need that nobody is talking about. I've always been a fan of the phrase, you got to strengthen your strengths. I say it probably more than I should, but I think it's true here. The defensive line is still a strength with Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry and Mike Daniels, but Mike Daniels showed some signs of decline last year. And defensive line is one of those areas where depth can disappear very quickly. Injuries hammer positions like this very hard. Mike Daniels gets hurt and suddenly you've got Montrevious Adams or James Looney or Fidal Brown or Tyler Lancaster taking significant reps there. All of those players useful in their own right to varying degrees, none of them are probably guys you would prefer to have starting. So the Packers need help on the defensive line. They probably need at least one more notable addition there between now and the end of the draft, whether a free agent or a draft pick. The second need is free safety. And I've kind of tried to move away from the free safety, strong safety designations because I think generally that's just how the league has gone. 
Safeties tend to be more interchangeable now than ever. You generally have guys who tend one way or another, but they're not strictly defined as one sort of player or another. Not quite the same as on Madden. You know, though he can play a variety of positions, I think Adrian Amos is more of the strong safety, box safety type than a deep safety. Not saying he can't play deep, but that hasn't traditionally what been what they've used him for. The Packers need one of those classic safety safeties. Tremont Williams would probably be the starting free safety right now, and this isn't a knock on him, but he's no spring chicken. And he's probably not the best option at the position. The Packers don't have to spend big or draft high, but I think they do need someone with that more traditional deep safety skill set, range, ball skills, basically the things that we've been told for years by the national media, the people who don't watch him week in and week out, that haha Clinton Dix is or maybe was good at when he was in Green Bay. Makes sense? Good. The third need is one that you might not expect, running back. The Packers have two running backs right now, but they need more than that. And they need a guy who's more than just a special teams body. 2018 was a weird year for running backs. For years, years, we asked Mike McCarthy to be a little bit more judicious with how he split up his running back carries. Don't lean so heavily on just one guy. Then in 2018, when he's got a guy that the whole football world is just begging for him to lean on, in Aaron Jones, he decides he's going to split up backfield reps essentially three ways, almost exactly evenly between Jones, Jamal Williams, and Ty Montgomery. Why? Who knows? It's frustrating. 2019 is probably going to be more like 2018 than it is past years. I don't see Matt LaFleur with a more run-heavy system just lining up one guy and giving him the ball every single play, especially when you've got a guy like Aaron Jones back there instead of Derrick Henry. You can see the obvious differences there. The Packers need another running back who can actually contribute, not just play special teams. And in a weird kind of way, Ty Montgomery might have been a really good fit for this particular Packers team. Too bad, so sad he's not here. Moving along, I think the Packers need a tackle. They signed a guard this week who can play tackle and has played tackle, but I think they need actual depth at tackle. Jason Spriggs is hardly an inspiring choice there, and Brian Bulaga is probably going to get hurt at some point this season. He's not a 16-game player. He's maybe a 12-14 to game player. That's fine. I think you still keep him around for those 12 to 14 games but because he, he'll be really good in those 12 to 14 games. But you are going to need some contributions from someone there at some point. And I'd rather it not be Justin McRae. The Packers need help at tackle. Finally, to round out the Packers' top five needs here for the post-initial wave of free agency, I think they could use a slot-wide receiver. One of the areas where Aaron Rodgers struggled the most last year was short completion, zero to nine yards or so. You look at the deep stats from Pro Football Focus, that's really the the area where he struggled the most with the accuracy. And other than Devontae Adams, the Packers really didn't have anybody who was good at getting open quickly. And nobody, even Adams, really operated like a traditional slot receiver does. Devontae Adams did some very good things out of the slot, but the Packers need somebody, I think, with that traditional slot wide receiver skill set. 
Golden Tate would be that guy had he not signed with the New York Giants and had there not been a lot of history, let's say, between him and the Packers, he would be exactly the kind of player that you would want there. Somebody with that kind of skill set. So there you have it. The Packers' top five needs still remaining after this first run of free agency. Defensive line, free safety, running back, tackle, and slot wide receiver. Those are the places that the Packers need to fill. Not want, need. They got to put somebody there. Speaking of slot receivers, while I've got you here, I would like to talk for a second about Jordy Nelson. I think Jordy Nelson can still be a good player for a team in 2019, maybe even in the slot. He doesn't have that traditional slot skill set, but he operates well close to the line of scrimmage, close to the offensive formation, close to the offensive line. You know what I'm trying to say here. He can do those sorts of things, and he can do them very well. So I think he can be a good player in 2019. But I think bringing him back is the wrong idea for the Packers. For reasons that have very little to do with Jordy Nelson. And everything to do with Aaron Rodgers. We've seen Aaron Rodgers struggle without familiar receivers around in two of the last three seasons in which he's played the full year. Of course, we know 2015 was a long, gross struggle without Jordy Nelson. That was one of the most miserable seasons in recent Packers history. In some ways, it was worse than when Aaron Rodgers has been injured because at least when he's injured, there are excuses for why the team is playing as badly as it is. 2018, very similar to 2015. No Jordy Nelson around, similar struggles on offense. And you know the story from there. The connection between Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson was so good when it was at its best that it allows Aaron Rodgers with doing things that he to do things that he probably shouldn't be. Bailing on plays early. Looking for big plays when he doesn't necessarily have to. Trying to operate too much outside the structure of the offense. For the Packers to move on, And for Aaron Rodgers to be the player that I think we all believe he still can be, he needs to break those bad habits. He needs to embrace the offense the Packers have. And he needs to work with the players they do have. And I don't think Jordy Nelson coming back to Green Bay helps Aaron Rodgers break those habits. And I don't think it helps him embrace a new offense. I think Aaron Rodgers having Jordy Nelson around in 2018 forces the Packers back into the past when they need to be looking to the future. Jordy Nelson may be good in 2019, but I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to be good in 2020 or 2021 or beyond. But the Packers need to be preparing for those years. And that preparation starts now. And I think one way they can start preparing is by moving away from the Jordy Nelson era as much fun as it was. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com or on Facebook or on Twitter or via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you'd be so kind by heading to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Donating $1 per month at that website helps us keep this entire operation running. If you'd like to wear your support on your sleeve, go to our Teespring store by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. 
We have a great selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts and all sorts of good stuff there. You want to check that out. But as always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. If you want, no pressure, but it does help more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better. It helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.